humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 236, and I had a conversation with Dr. Fred Califf. He is a geologist and a mapper of the rocks and the terrain on Mars. Super interesting conversation. I loved it. I'm really excited for you to hear it. I am currently on vacation, so I have recorded all these preambles before I left, meaning this last one is coming out as I am on a plane coming back to home. Um, So anything that's happened over the last few weeks, I don't know anything about that because for right now, I'm in the past when you're listening to this in the future. How's that for confusing? Whatever shenanigans may or may not have taken place that I have missed because I don't know they're happening yet will have calmed down. Otherwise, I'm going to have egg on my face and you may not even be listening. Who knows? Maybe an asteroid is hurtling toward Earth and I'm just glib because I don't know. So (laughs) apologies if there is an asteroid hurtling towards Earth. Okay, enough of that stuff. Uh, usual stuff, social media, Hey Human Podcasts can be found on Instagram and Facebook. My personal social media can be found under Susan Ruthism at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can find the website on iTunes, Spotify, heyhumanpodcast.com. You can rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, On the heyhumanpodcast.com website, you'll find all sorts of things. A store where you can get cool merch for Hey Human-y stuff uh, that I designed. Definitely check that out. You will find the links page where I put information about every episode. Definitely go that, especially for this episode. I mean, for every episode, really. But this episode's going to have a lot of really cool stuff. You can also uh, go to susanruth.com to find out more about me and to sign up on my mailing list, which I send out about every quarter and always forget things to put in it and then kick myself in the pants because I have to wait another few months before I send it out again because I don't want to over-inundate. As I said before, I am vacationing right now as we speak, or I'm dead because the asteroid has hit us, but then it won't matter because you wouldn't be listening to this anyway. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe, be well, be love. And here we go. Dr. Fred Califf, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you, Susan. It's great to have you here. Uh, Likewise. We were introduced through um, our mutual friend, Trevor. Shout out to Trevor. And he said, hey, I've been thinking about some cool people to have on your show. And I said, great, send them. And and he sent me your way, and you are certainly a cool person because you get to play around on Mars, so to speak. Yeah, I'm lucky like that. Yeah, but I want to start more at the beginning. When you were little, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, just below Boston, uh, Quincy, Massachusetts. And were uh, you obsessed with space when you were a kid? Um. I mean, uh, space and rocks, um, which goes without saying, because I'm a geologist, um, you know, just kind of interested in a little bit of everything, um, you know, uh, then finally came to space, uh, you know, as my job uh, later on when I went to grad school. Yeah. What was the trajectory of, of that, of knowing kind of um, what you wanted to study, obviously, but then having it end up where you are now, which is such an exciting place to be? Kind of like a, um, a ball of yarn that you unraveled and then threw in a pile. Um, it was, kind of <laughs> uh, so I, mean, I know it's kind of actually, I, I do find it a little bit strange because I, I never thought of myself as necessarily having a straight path. And I kind of don't, but I did always like rocks. I grew up near a granite quarry. Um, Quincy is known for granite, for what it's worth. Um, Bunker Hill Monuments made with uh, Quincy granite. Um, yeah, that is okay. Uh, things that I know. Um, it's so I always liked rocks and I went and I studied geology in my undergrad and grad. But um, in terms of like getting to where I am today, uh, you know, I went to UMass Boston and I was doing uh, anthropology and earth science. And actually, I almost became a, like an archaeologist and or a forensic osteologist, like studying bones. I, I got really, I got really wrapped into, um, 
like uh, the whole like like police forensic work, like finding you know finding um, people who who had died and telling their story and uh, you know giving them a voice, you know that they don't have one. And I I, I almost went to University of Kentucky actually. Um, you, sorry, University of Tennessee um, in Knoxville, where they have a big uh, forensic lab. Uh, I interviewed I interviewed Dr. Donnie Stedman for the show. Oh, show. did you really? I got oh. to, I went into the bone room. I didn't get to go out into the field and see all that stuff, but I went into the bone room, and she and I had an incredible conversation. Oh, that that's amazing! I would I say I, I gotta I gotta go back and look for that thing because uh, yeah. that's yeah awesome. I was super yeah. super stoked into that. You know, uh, I. I had to live, so I had to make money. So I, I worked in between each of my degrees, uh, you know, like transportation planning. Oh, so, so basically my undergrad, like I said, geology and anthropology, um, but I learned how to do mapping, computer-based mapping. And that's kind of always um, uh, kept me fed, uh, which is good. So, I, but I didn't care where I applied it. So I was, uh, at one point I was doing like transportation planning in Boston. Um, and then I, I went to grad school in Ohio. And, but while I was doing to do my master's, while I was doing that, I, I got hired at this local government institute, and we were mapping um, watersheds in southeast Ohio and acid mine drainage, and even things like um, uh, city level mapping. And like, like we helped map uh, uh, digitizing all the voting precincts in Ohio because that's what they asked us to do. Uh, you know, so uh, and then uh, then I went and like worked in um, the engineering field after I got my degree. I'm like like uh, hydrogeology, so I was going over these weird uh, military bases that you've never heard of and um, uh, sampling wells there for whatever uh, fun contaminants they put in the water, like uh, trichloroethylene and vinyl chloride and uh, uh, things that you never want to ever want to be around because they're, they're just no 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 good. Or, or uh, jet fuel that was a that was a fun time going to um, uh, Naval Air Station Oceana in uh, Virginia and uh, being literally um, on the runway, like at the end of the runway while F-16, F-15s were doing touch and goes and zooming over our head or, or being near the, um, uh, the hangars while they're moving planes around. That was, that was wild. That was a very, um, very uh, strange job to go to places that you just wouldn't expect to go. But then I just wanted to keep studying. I went and got my PhD, you know, in geology in Alaska. And that's when I started kind of my path to planetary science. And um, while I was there, I was kind of like, I don't know, my, my, my PhD took way too long. Um, and I was getting kind of depressed and didn't know what to do. Uh, but then I, I, uh, I was like getting, like, so I was over halfway in my PhD and I was looking for postdocs. That's what you're supposed to do. I didn't know where I wanted to go or what, um, even though I was, I was studying Mars, uh, but I didn't know what that exactly job that was going to be, if I was going to be academia or some kind of professional life, whatever you do, or you go study, study Mars professionally. And I, I ran into um, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, and that's, uh, and I met someone there and they said, hey, we're looking for someone to do mapping at landing sites on Mars. And they said, do you know how to do that stuff? Could you do that? I'm like, yes. And they're like, oh, you should finish your degree. I'm like, okay. And then uh, I, you know, I had four chapters in my dissertation. I wrote the last two in probably like two months or three months because um, I was motivated, right? And, and then I got, uh, went to JPL postdoc and then got hired there. Wow. Um, not necessarily a straight path. Uh, certainly always geology in that vein and mapping, um, but I've kind of done a bunch of different things. So did you start mapping Mars with Rover? Is that... They were, they um, were, or no, what was the one before that? With, with my PhD, um, I was I studied Mars and impact craters on Mars, so things like like meteor crater, like things like that, um, except on Mars. And so I kind of like you know I knew kind of the data sets and what Mars looked like and a little bit about um, meteorites and, and meteorite impacts, and uh, but mostly it was my my skill of mapping, which I had honed from mapping watersheds and transportation planning and voting precincts and highways and, you know, all these kind of things were that were totally unrelated to science, but gave me the skill sets and the ability to think and do, and to do real projects, you know, like you go to school and, and you take a class, but you never apply it. But I had a lot of experience in my life to kind of apply that in different ways. So I just took those skills and said, okay, let's do this on Mars. Uh, and that worked out pretty well. So how does one go about 
getting in and, and starting to map? Obviously, you can't go there. So what is that uh, process? Um, uh, yeah, you, it's hard to get there. Yeah. Uh, a little, little yeah. tricky. Uh, you know, it's, Lord it's, knows it's they want to try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. We all love to go there. At least some of us. Would you? Would I go? Oh, man. So, so the short answer is yes, but I do want to come back. I'm not one of those like, give me the one-way ticket and I'll, you know, be buried on Mars. Like, no, no, I, I really want to come back. Um, uh, I did have to, it's funny because like, I mean, it's never going to happen. Today, but um, I did have the conversation with my wife at one point. She's like, would you go to Mars? I'm like, maybe. Would you let me go? She's like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Which, I don't know, good or bad. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I would go. Uh, I just, I would want to come back. You know, yeah. that, and that's always a tricky part. And uh, yeah, um, in space travel, uh, yeah, yeah, in space travel, like you always want to come home. Usually, uh, most people do. They made a whole show on it with Voyager. So <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. They always want to come home, no matter how far away, half galaxy away. You want to come back. Uh, yeah. So, um, so Mars, uh, like Earth, has um, satellites that that uh, orbit around it and have cameras, and they take pictures of the surface. And then we stitch those pictures together to make a, you know, kind of whole view of the planet or just certain sections of it. And then we map off of that, uh, much like a geologists do on Earth. And, you know, we have same thing around Earth. Uh, just, you know, uh, on Earth, you can actually, you know, look at something from orbit and go, oh, that's a really interesting rock. Let's go there and sample the rocks and see if what we see from orbit is true. Um, not so much on Mars. You know, the rovers are the closest, right? So, um, the rovers are, are our astronauts um, currently, our robotic astronauts on Mars. Uh, the only problem is they're kind of slow. Um, they don't go very far. Um, they're complicated. They don't always do what we tell them to do. They tip Our over. <laughs> they tip over. No, we, well, we try not to have that happen ever. Um, you know, no, no garages on Mars, which is always a problem. So you break it, it's done. So we're, all very, we're pretty cautious with how we drive and move on Mars. But... Caution means slow. So, you know, in a day, I could probably explore um, the same distance and number of rocks that a Mars rover would explore in two years. So, you know, it, it, ballparking, you know, maybe it's maybe it's one year. But in any case, it, it, you know, you can just cover much more ground. You know, it's easy to put your hand down and flip over a rock um, the ro or go down and look a rock and hold it up and look at it up close. Um, you know, that to me is a couple minutes for the rover. That's a whole day minimum. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's tricky like that. So you have to, we balance the amount of science we can do with safety and longevity of the mission. How do you collect sample data if there's no one there to do any scraping or chipping or whatnot? Uh, so a uh, couple ways. Um, we uh, we uh, do have some instruments we can just put on the rock. And uh, here, like, <laughs> geologist always has a rock. So we have, you know, we have cameras and we can take pictures of the rocks. And that tells us a lot. Like, what's the shape of the rock? Do we see minerals? Um, does it look, is, you know, is it a bunch of flat bed, uh, flat lying rocks? So that maybe that was laid down by water or wind. Um, and then we can also, we actually have a laser. So we can actually shoot the rock with a laser. And uh, when we do that, we kind of like make a little gas. I think it's plasma. Um, we kind of shoot the rock and then we can look at that gas and the colors from that actually tell what the chemistry of the rock is, which is kind of fun. Um, laser induced breakdown spectroscopy. I don't know how it works. I know is they go pew pew um, and they get back what the color, what the uh, chemistry of the rock is. Um, and if it's still interesting, we can actually, we have an arm on the rover and on the arm it has a turret with a bunch of instruments. And uh, one of them's uh, an x-ray machine. Essentially, we can take like the x-ray of the rock and that looks at the mineralogy. And the, actually, more, it's more it's looking at the chemistry uh, of the rock. But um, uh, otherwise, we can take up really close images, microscopic images. And we also have a drill and we can drill the rock and then take that sample and we put it inside the rover. And inside the rover, there's other instruments. We have a chemistry lab. So we can actually measure the different uh, chemicals in the rock at a very high fidelity. And we also have um, uh, chemin, which is uh it, it basically looks at the mineralogy from x-rays as well so we look at the so there's like the so like you can take like um silicon and oxygen and iron and aluminum and magnesium and um from just looking at the like the amounts of those um you get 
kind of idea of what the rock's made of, but you don't always know like how it's arranged. And so the, the mineralogy that doing the x-ray tells us how those, how those atoms are arranged and what shapes. And that tells us about how the rocks were put down uh, for what it's worth. So basically we, we x-ray the rocks like, like you go to the dentist for your teeth and we can see those, the shape of the minerals that tells us what minerals they are and what the chemistry is. Now, clearly the rover Curiosity answers this question that I'm going to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why? Ah, okay. Good question. Uh, why go to Mars? So on Earth, um, Earth is very active and, uh, you know, we have water, we have volcanism, we have plate tectonics. Um, most of the old rocks on the Earth are either gone or they're all munged up and crunched and been folded and faulted and slightly melted and pressurized. And so, like, the amount of, like, really old rocks that are, like, three and a half. So the Earth is about four and a half billion years old. Um, most of the rocks we see are well less than a billion years old. We have some rocks, like up in Canada. Um, in Australia, they're around three and a three-ish to three and a half, um, but not a lot. And they're all kind of messed up because they've just been around the Earth for so long. And otherwise, like we only get really like to the beginnings of the Earth, we get like these little, really, really, really small um, either diamonds or zircons, and they're just they're microscopic. Um, we can tell a lot from them, um, but we can't really tell like where they were on Earth per se, right? So you can't really see like the shape of the Earth back then. On Mars, however, and, and Mars and Earth kind of like they kind of form about four and a half billion years ago. They grow up at the same time. But Mars, because it's smaller, it essentially um, cool off faster. And so things like volcanism and plate tectonics and, and just water active on the surface slows down and basically stops. So Mars is kind of like a time capsule of how Earth looked way back then. So we go to Mars and we can study it. And we kind of like, it's kind of like looking at the Earth three and a half to four billion years ago. So that's part of the reason why we go there. Um, the other one is, um, you know, we kind of want to answer like this weird, well, not weird, but uh, this fundamental question, like, is there life on anywhere besides the earth? Is earth completely unique? Life is only in the universe is on earth. Um, or does it happen everywhere? Is it just this natural thing that happens? You get up, you get a sun like ours, you get a planet like ours, do you get life? Um, and is it just Earth? You know, is it on Mars? Is it on Venus? Is it on uh, Europa, around Jupiter? Um, we don't know that answer. So part of that is to go to Mars to try to answer that question. You know, do we see evidence of past life on Mars? That would be, knowing that definitively would tell us a lot about life in general, life in the universe, why it develops. Is it really, really, really rare? Or um, is it really, really, really common? Or is it some, you know, in between? And Based on its proximity to the sun is why it's, it's terra formed differently, right? It's why it doesn't have the plants, the vegetables. But they think that Mars had water at one point. Yes. Did it have ice or was it? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, what we can tell is that Mars uh, definitely had ancient lakes. Um, uh, the Curiosity rover um, is in Gale Crater, which is uh, what they think was an ancient lake, several ancient lakes. Um, the new rover, uh, Perseverance, is also going to Jezero Crater. Also, they think, was a big, huge lake um, that has a river delta flowing into it and evidence of clays, which we think were put down by water. Um, so there was liquid water on the surface, like somewhere between four to three-ish billion years ago, um, before it gets too cold. And then all that, all that liquid water freezes um, and or um, the ice, uh, actually the atmosphere starts to get thinner um, because Mars doesn't have a magnetic field like Earth, or at least not for very long. And so without a magnetic field, you get a lot of energy from the sun, it hits the uh, atmosphere, um, and any atmosphere you there, it gets broken up. And so if you have water in the atmosphere, um, you, you know, and water is hydrogen and oxygen put together, you break that apart and you get hydrogen, poof, it's, it actually goes into space, um, the oxygen, because it, it's kind of small and light and fast, so it goes off in space. The oxygen is slow and big and heavy. It falls to the ground. Um, uh, when it gets to the ground it, on Mars or on Earth, you know, like three and a half billion years ago, um, most of the surface is volcanic, so it's, it's, it's very rich in iron. Iron and oxygen combine together, and that creates rust. 
And so if you look at Mars, it's all red. It's because the atmosphere is kind of blown apart. The oxygen went down, combined with the vulcan volcanic rocks, becomes rust, you get red Mars. Um, so uh, I forget where this, where I was. Well, knowing, this, knowing that there was uh, water the, the, on this right. planet, to me, I think water, I think life automatically. Right. And, and you know, that, and that's basically, that has been um, kind of NASA's goal. So NASA's went from just like exploring planets to very specifically follow the water, you know, like look at planets to see where water was because on earth, uh, water means life, right? That's exactly what you said, right? We think of water, we think of life and that's how it works on earth. So why not on the other planets as well? Um, so we went to follow the water. We, we're going to these places where there's water and then we're looking at um, places where um, water was long lasting, we hope, um, a lake, you know, someplace where its water collects and settles and hopefully um, life develops in that time. Um, for Mars, uh, because we're talking about water that's lasting, you know, a billion and a half years, two billion years, um, it, like for long periods of time, um, you probably, you know, like on Earth, uh, you know, you don't get like real complex life, like not like, like bugs, right? I mean, or right. spiders or... or hey, what do they say that on Earth, or, if, if life was a 24-hour cycle, that we would be in the last second or the last tiny second of the last minute of the last hour, of the, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so life that we think of like, you know, creatures running around, that is really like I say, like it's the last second of life on Earth. Most of it's spent like cells, like the stuff you went, you know, paramecium's and you know things that we you looked at in a microscope when you were in high school. Um, that's most of this tale of life on Earth. So we don't think, um, from what we can tell, Mars um, did not develop, did not have time to develop life like that. I mean, we kind of know, like, like it, you know, we we don't know where where it, you know, like if there was ever life on Mars. That's just a simple question. Um, there's another question was like, how complex did it get? And we can kind of answer that. Like, you know, it, 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 it's not, you know, it's not lizards. It's not bugs. It's not fish. It's not crayfish. It's not worms. Um, it, it, it's microbes and, and, you know, but somewhere between like a microbe and something slightly more than a microbe. We don't know, but that's how we're going there to find out. The idea of uh, transpermia, right? That there was an expulsion of Mars rocks that yeah. seeded Earth. I remember one of my friends who's a geologist, he, he specializes in moon rock. And uh, he told me years ago, he said, you know, we've, we've found rocks that we think are Martian rocks on Earth. And I said, wait, what? Said, what? Which, I mean, it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. And he said, wouldn't it be cool if... And then a couple of years ago, I saw uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, did a whole thing on transpermia. I was like, oh my God, it's a thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it, and it goes the other way too, though. Um, Earth rocks, you know, have probably gone to the moon. I think there's... I feel like I read somewhere there's one sample of a rock that I think actually came from Earth that they got on the moon. Um, I don't remember uh, exactly, um, but I think there's also the case where an Earth rock could get to Mars. Um, but you know, Mars is a big place. <laughs> we have a handful of rovers. Um, well, I think uh, about an event hitting so, Mars and chipping off some rock that yeah, maybe had uh -huh. some some four billion, three billion year old thing on yes. it. it. Lands on Earth where the where everything is perfect for life, and that's yeah. what actually seeded and began life here. Is such a cool idea that we're actually yes. all Martians. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, and you know that's one of the things that if we we're you know um, the next rover perseverance is going to collect samples and we're going to bring those back, uh, you know, and if we bring back samples that we think have you know evidence of old Martian life, although I, I just think about this like I don't know, well it'd be interesting I I don't know what we what exactly if if we could compare like the Martian life uh, ancient life to earth ancient life you know maybe you say like they're the same or they're really different um that would tell us a big thing if they're the same then you go like well transpermia right did it which way did it go right earth to mars mars to earth um that becomes really exciting you know then we can start you know then we can answer questions like that like okay life spreads everywhere why because rocks knock off so yeah yeah no it's very cool i yeah i I would love to know. <laughs> I think it's all scientists want to know. It's, yeah, it's I think it's super cool. And I, I, lo I love the idea of Earth, other places, in other 
you know, in other regions of space, it just, it makes you, there are times when you look up in the night sky when you can see all the stars and you think, it's not just me. And then it sort of lifts the weight off your shoulders in some way. I know for some people, they make it feels too grandiose. They don't want to think about it. But for me, I think somewhere out there is someone or many someones that I can sit down and, and break whatever alien bread and, and have. Maybe that's a lifetime of being raised on Star Trek. I don't know. But I know what you mean. It's exciting. Yeah. 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 I think Star Trek. Um, yeah. Star Trek kind of spoiled everyone, I think, because they're like, oh, we can just go talk to these people and they can be interesting and different and you learn so much. And it's like, huh, space is big. Space is big. Star. Space is really yeah. big. And it's, it's complicated and gravity sucks. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it is interesting to think about that. And, you know, I think we're trying to answer that question. Like, well, okay. If life spreads out through our solar system, then it had to have spread out through other solar systems. So. And then what? thinking about Star Trek and like, well, okay. How many planets, you know, the whole like search for exoplanets is all about like. How unique is earth? Like, is our most planet like in most solar systems just a bunch of gas giants running around or are there earth-like planets everywhere you know which is kind of like what we're coming up to be you know the better our the better our instruments get the more we see smaller planets the more we realize like you know our solar system is not unique in fact our solar system may be slightly odd or you know a lot of solar systems that we see now are like there's like jupiter's where we are uh you know or closer into the to their sun so it's like wow that's not like our solar system at all at least not initially uh or at least not now um initially it was kind of different but um yeah so it's a uh, yeah it's kind of if i grew uh, up on mars how different would i be uh that's a good question um so so mars is about um 60 the size of earth uh so it has less gravity um so what does that mean um Maybe you'd be taller. Maybe you'd be thinner. Um, I'm pulling a little bit like from uh, Stranger uh, in a Strange Land. <laughs> uh, no, uh, maybe uh, Kim Stanley Robinson is red, red, green, and blue Mars books. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how the Martians are taller and thinner. Um, uh, so I, I, I guess so. Uh, my biology classes are <laughs> not what they could be, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, I, I would guess um, taller, thinner, but you know. Um, uh, less gravity means less, uh, strength, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, so generically you would be weaker in a sense, um, compared to someone from earth, you know, someone from earth go there, they would have a lot more muscle mass. Um, you know, so maybe they haven't lost it in a trip to, to Mars. Um, uh, your bones probably a little more brittle, um, because you don't have that, you know, gravity is a, it's amazing because it, 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 you know, you're constantly fighting gravity. You don't think about it, right? I lift up my hand, like, I don't feel any gravity, but you do all the time. It's always there pulling on you. And in fact, like, when astronauts go to space, um, things stop working. Like, you know, like, your body is meant to, like, is used to gravity, and it pulls things down in your body, and that affects your, your blood pressure, it affects your muscle development, it affects your bone density. Um, all astronauts have to deal with, like, osteoporosis. They come back, and they've lost, like, 10, 15% of their bone mass. Um, ocular problems like your eye, like especially for, for um, uh, men, their eyes, um, they have really bad image problems and they, they tend to have more um, visual problems uh, when they come back up on space and then when they come back to Earth, it takes a while for their eyes to kind of like readjust. Um, so all those things, yeah, gravity's super important. So yeah, so you'd be thinner, you'd probably be weaker, although on Mars, you know, less gravity, the bright things way less. So like you wouldn't notice it day to day, but in comparison to Earth, you know, you would be, uh, yeah, your bones would be a little fragile. You'd probably be taller. Um, uh, other than that, I, you know, I mean, the atmosphere is, so the thing is, like, the, you, you would have to assume, like, you have an Earth-like atmosphere. I mean, so the atmosphere of Mars is all carbon dioxide. Um, nothing we could breathe. Uh, so we would have to assume, like, it's the same atmosphere-ish. Um, but that doesn't currently exist. But maybe the mix would be a little bit different, maybe a little less oxygen. Or my lungs Maybe would more. develop to handle it. I imagine I'd be furry because it's cold there. <laughs> um, I mean, it's really, it's, see, this is like where it gets really um, interesting because like, well, what is, you know, if you have, 
less gravity. What does that mean for your atmosphere? Like, does that mean you, you, your, your, your atmosphere becomes completely different or, um, you know, is it, would it just be a colder planet? I mean, theoretically it would be a colder planet. It's certainly getting less sun, um, where it is. Um, so it might be a little cooler. Yeah. So maybe it'd be a little hairier. Um, or, uh, maybe we're a little bit more like, um, the Inupiaq or, or Eskimos, um, you know, carrying more, more, um, uh, body fat in general to keep warm. Maybe, maybe it would be mostly a planet of Arctic like animals, um, seals and walruses and, you know, I, I don't know, polar bears, like, you know, polar bear planet. Um, you know, uh -huh. that's, yeah, it's got way beyond my, <laughs> my oh my gosh, that'd be yeah, super cool. Yeah. Instead of ice cream stores, it would just, it would be herring stores everywhere you yes. went. <laughs> Dried herring for everyone. That's right. You, how much of Mars have you personally mapped? Is there a team of you or is it you and that's your deal? Because I know they, they gave you a nickname, uh, the oh. keeper of the maps. Right. Yeah. Uh, keeper of the maps, not maker of all the maps. Um, uh, for like... Uh, yeah, such a weird question answer. Um, Gail created, I mean, like for the rover, I've made a lot of maps of where the rover has gone. Uh, hundreds, literally probably hundreds of thousands. Um, but, you know, there are other scientists on the team and they do mapping as well. And, you know, they, they all map little sections. I mean, if you want to call it percentages, it'd be like 10th of a percent of Mars, maybe. Uh, mostly because I'm looking at these very small scale um, areas, just where the rover, you know, I, I worry about meters and distance and centimeters and, you know, other people who are mapping like the whole planet there, you know, they're talking about tens and hundreds of thousands of kilometers. Um, but I mean, I've looked like I've made maps across Mars. So I don't know. It's also depends on like, like uh, how much detail do you want? Do you want like the big picture you're seeing like the equivalent of states on Mars or you're zooming into cities and towns and city blocks. Um, I'm mostly on like the city block level, like these little small little areas. Um, Los Angeles maybe is like the biggest area I've mapped, but in high detail, higher detail. Right. And is it all topography or do you, is there anything that's going down into the surface, below the surface, down into, is there cavernous areas? And There are caverns on Mars and mostly like um, volcano tubes, um, like in Oregon where, uh, you know, lava has flown, flown through and it's kind of left a, a, a hollow tube um, that you can walk in. There are a few of those on Mars, but most of the mapping is on the surface. Uh, getting below the surface is pretty tricky. And also it's very cold because um, once you're in shadow, you don't, you're not getting any heat. You're just, it is the, you know, the cold, um, not the cold darkness of space per se, but pretty close. Um, for example, uh, on the rover, um, uh, like before we drive the rovers, they have six wheels. And if the wheels are on the shady side of the rover, those have to be heated up more because they will be 10, 20, 30, 40 degrees cooler um, than the sunny side. So, um, yeah, so, so mostly mapping is on the surface. Um, we have a few instruments that can look below the surface, these uh, radar instruments. They can actually um, take like profile measurements below the surface and look at different layers coming back. Um, so there's some of that, like the ice caps have been mapped. Uh, so there's ice caps on each end of Mars. And so those have been mapped in terms of like um, the, the, uh, their 3D structure, how, how many layers are within them. Topography is ice cap shape or they're literally ice caps? There's literally ice caps. So solid water. Solid water. Wow. Uh, kilometers of it. Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. There's lots of, there is a lot of water on Mars. It's on the surface, it's all ice, and we do have, they do have ice caps. I mean, Mars, I mean, you know, if you look at Mars, if you ignore the fact that it's red, and you ignore the fact that um, uh, it's very dry right now, I mean, you see rivers, things that look like rivers, you see things that look like lakes, you see volcanoes. We currently have ice caps, you get dune fields. Um, it looks, you know, topographic-wise, it's not much different from Earth. And we do see features that are just very Earth-like, which is why it's exciting, because it, it obviously was an Earth-like planet, um, you know, several billion years ago. Now, not so much. Now it's, uh, you know, uh, minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit on a, on a warm, on an average day, 
um, you know, at night it's minus 150. Uh, you know, it's incredibly dry. There's no liquid water. It's just, you know, it's ice or it goes into, into the atmosphere as a gas. It never gets liquid. Um, you can't breathe on Mars. It, it's, it's, you know, there's not enough atmosphere to breathe. Terraform, so it, it'd have to have a, we'd have to create an atmosphere for Terraform. Yeah. You'd have to. Does that require encapsulation or does that just, could you, like they do in the movies, shoot a ray gun up into space that creates an atmosphere? Uh, you, uh, the biggest thing is you, you have to add literally like matter into the atmosphere, which would be basically turning like, take the ice caps and melt them completely to put that water and, and extra CO2 into the atmosphere and keep it there. Um, and even then, it wouldn't quite be enough. You'd also want to melt the ice that's in the surface, like underneath the surface as well, to get something that you could kind of live in with a very light pressure suit. Um, it's a difficult problem. And then you have to, you know, and then on top of that, you, you know, the atmosphere actually keeps in warmth. So like the Earth would be a barren, cold frigid wasteland if we didn't have our atmosphere or not as much as we do so the atmosphere also provides warmth which is good but you need that warmth in addition to keep that ice melted otherwise what's going to happen uh the ice caps are going to reform like if you melt it instantaneously right you get this atmosphere cool and then it's going to get you know then it's naturally it's going to cool down and then the ice caps are going to reform and then your atmosphere literally collapses it you literally freeze out your atmosphere um so yeah, it's tricky. So then like, and then to do that, like, where do you get heat? Like, oh, I don't know, you nuke them. Like, that's not cool. Cause then you get radiation. Um, or uh, like Kim Stanley Robinson was um, in his book, he talks about drilling these mole holes. Basically they drill these huge holes down into Mars and whatever remnant heat is left there is used to, um, to heat the ice in the ground and then to create this atmosphere from the melted ice. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a it's a you know it's a planet-wide problem and it's really hard to do it. so why um, all this hubbub for like the elon musks of the world that you know put out the word okay we're gonna we're gonna send people to mars and is it just to to facilitate the excitement for the programs or is there really an idea that give us 50 more years 20 more years we'll have cracked that nut uh well <laughs> No one is uh, cracking the terraforming nut in 50 years. Uh, it's more like 5,000 years <laughs> at best, 50,000 maybe. Um, it's a lot of work. I, you know, I, I, you know, I think, um, you know, Elon Musk, he wants to do, uh, you know, like uh, Mars be the backup to civilization, right? Uh, the human backup, like in case a big meteorite crashes on the earth and destroys it or, um, uh, <laughs> The rabid virus takes out all of humanity, which is a little too close to home, I know it, right? Um, you know, like this, like, can we, you know, if the earth gets destroyed, you know, will humanity survive? And he's like, okay, go to Mars and that's what you do. Um, that's fine. And that's a, a fair idea and a thought. Uh, the only problem is, is that Mars is not earth. And it's unfortunately not earth in um, big ways. Um, what, we talked about gravity, right? That's the hardest problem. Uh, we're used to living in Earth gravity. Can we live in Mars gravity for long periods of time? Or do our bones get so fragile and then like all the men go blind and which maybe maybe that's okay. Um, all the men go blind. <laughs> um, uh, that's my uh, emo band yeah. name. Medications, medications don't work well in space because of partially because of gravity. So maybe our medications don't, aren't as effective on Mars. So maybe we're all sick. Um, all the time, uh, you know, it, it's the gravity alone is a, is a question we don't know. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, you have to grow stuff on Mars. Mars is really cold. Mars is going to be cold for a very, 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 very long time. Um, you know, you would be living in a, in a spacesuit all the time. Yeah. And it would um, take a very long evolution to catch up to all of that it would just take forever it would be so long to even yes, adjust yes. to the gravity would take thousands upon thousands of years yes yeah so it, yeah to truly evolve would take a very long time and you know i guess you know like the question is well <laughs> you never get there if you don't start that could be one approach 
Um, the other approach is like, maybe we should just keep Earth really nice because it's really yeah. nice. It's yeah. nice by a big margin. It's a great um, idea. I wish more people had that thought. Uh, yeah. yeah. Every time I see anyone throw something out their car window as they're driving along, I want to, I get a little homicidal, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I mean, the one thing is like, um, you know, there's a thing called the overview effect where the astronauts fly up in space and they look down and like, wow, it is a one planet and it's a beautiful one, right? Um, you know, I'm not an astronaut by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I do look at images of Mars all day long, and I look at it from the ground. And so when you're doing that, you know, I, you know, as a geologist, I'm trying to like put myself there. And so I'm looking at those images, and I'm looking at it, and you know, I love Mars. It's beautiful to me. Albeit, I'm a geologist. I like rocks. All rocks are beautiful to me. Um, but I know, despite everything I see there, none of it's going to support human life. I mean, per se. Um, I know there's water ice there and, you know, we can crunch up the rocks and get water from them. And, and there are some like, you know, chemicals and nutrients we kind of get from rocks um, if you grind them up, but it, it makes you realize like how special earth is and the fact that we have water everywhere. Um, we have an atmosphere we can breathe. I can look out. I see a green tree, um, you know, short of some nursery that you bring there. Um, you're not going to see that on Mars. You don't see that on Mars. So it, it does give you an appreciation that, you know, there is only one Earth. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that's it. <laughs> Get used to it <laughs> because it's not going to change anytime soon. Not in ever, maybe, you know, for our solar system. So it, it's worth keeping this one. I'm curious why ourselves. the idea of building a, a grander space station that can support humanity you know if the i'm yeah. surprised that hasn't been floated around i i guess is for i, I think it was it um blue origin and i think jeff bezos had a presentation a couple last year or something like that they talked about that like building these huge like yeah. million people space stations that spin and thereby create gravity and they're like oh yeah that's much better because they because they actually even said like Gravity is a problem. Like Mars will never gain gravity and the moon will never gain gravity. Or the space station, you can make this big you know, cylinder and you spin it and then you have gravity, right? Um, sure. Um, or you can stay on Earth and make it nice and not like, yeah. you know, the idea like, oh, we're just going to push all the bad polluting industry up into space. It's like, that's expensive and takes a lot of time and energy and like the, the, the economics don't work out very well. It only works out, like, the economics, like, it's really interesting, like, uh, from what I understand of it, it's like, the economics of doing, like, mining space are great if you're in space. But if you ever want to bring that home, mm -hmm. then it doesn't make any sense. Because mm -hmm. you can do it so much cheaper here. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting ideas. I, I mean, I'm, I am big on space exploration. Me too. Build the space habitats. Go out there, go visit the moon, go visit Mars, um, fly around in space. Cool. Um, are we going to take all of humanity and put it into space? No, no, no of course not. It, you know, what you're really saying is some subsection is going into that, space. Right, right. And the rest of you are not. Of course. You'll get a million people after a thousand years from the people that are in space. And not from people actually getting into space. But anyways, I, I digress. Uh, but that, I mean, yes, that would be the logical order of things. Have you ever, dis have you, I, I use the royal you, uh, discovered uh, a wacky thing on Mars that was unexpected, aside from water? Um, like, oh, somebody left a Lego. If only. I tell you, we, we joke, uh, actually, we were just joking about, like, yeah, you know, like people say, like, oh, we, we saw a little a Bigfoot on Mars, or, or uh, my favorite is the lighthouse, the lighthouse on Mars. Like, 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 look, you took a picture of two different places on Mars, and there was a flash of light. It's coming from the same direction. And I can tell you, I did the math. I looked at the images. It is not from the same place. Anyways, um, but you know, uh, I've seen lots of weird looking things, but they're not weird. They're rocks. Um, you know. Uh, Pareidolia, where it's yeah. mind shapes thing. Like it, it, it is a thing. Um, but I know it's not a. It's just rocks. It's just all rocks. It's rocks all the way down, which is great for geologists, just not for anyone else. Um, I think the the surprising thing is that Mars looks very um, 
dry and inhospitable. And it is. Um, but everywhere we go, we tend to find things that water put down. And so that's pretty exciting. So like, from a science perspective, it used to be like, oh, maybe Mars was wet here and here, but then it's dry and inhospitable in between. But mostly it's like, wait, there was water everywhere. Like, it, you know, it, it, it's all dry now. Maybe it's all been covered over, but there's been a lot of water on Mars. And uh, so that's pretty exciting. I mean, granted, we go, we go to surface in places where we expect wa to find water, but um, you find more and more, like, it's not just a little water. It's a lot of water. And it's water over a long time. And that makes us excited for, like, you know, the astrobiology component. Like, long, like, like if you have water that lasts 10 years, like, great, but you can't grow bug, you know, you can't grow anything in 10 years of water. But when you talk about hundreds of thousands of years, you talk about millions of years, you're talking about billion years of continuous water then you can say okay that's exciting that's something you can yeah i mean i'm just waiting to hear things. that they've they've chipped off some of that ice cap and they've done you know brought it back inside the the rover into the lab that melts down to water and then they find protozoa you know they find something yeah. I, that would that would be extraordinary it would be um it's yeah and it's interesting like you think like why aren't we going to the polar caps? Um, it's for exactly that problem, because we know where there's water, we find life. If we go to places where there's really water and we're going to collect some, we have to do it really, really, really carefully. So we've actually, the, the Mars exploration in general has been sticking closer um, to the equator so that we don't land in ice. We get in trouble if, <laughs> if the rovers actually found ice um, right now, they'd be so in trouble. <laughs> Planetary protection people, they get upset because we're not supposed to contaminate Mars. And so, you know, the rovers like are essentially scrubbed from all the microbes, but there's always like little spores and things you just can't remove completely. So, um, you know, the, the, the kind of like the nightmare scenario is you send a rover to Mars, um, and you land on ice and you drop earth microbes on it and they grow. And then you go and you sample Mars and then you find out you got earth microbes instead of Mars microbes. So we're very cautious about that. Like that we call it um, um, forward contamination. We don't want to bring earth microbes to Mars. We would love to bring Mars microbes to earth, which is a whole nother problem, <laughs> which we'll have to be dealing with soon. Um, but we don't want the, the reverse to happen. We don't want to like bring some really like robust earth microbe and put it on Mars and it kills everything on Mars, right? If, if something existed. Um, we never want that to happen. Or we just don't want to like um, uh, panspermia, right? <laughs> Roverspermia. Uh, pollute Mars with earth microbes that then grow. Um, and then, you know, we're just, then we're just looking at earth microbes. That would also be a worse. Well, then how will you, how will that problem be solved? Because clearly the, the Holy Grail, it sounds like, are those ice caps. Uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually. So there was the Phoenix lander, which landed like mid latitudes, um, where there is some ice. It actually landed on things that are like permafrost, kind of like Alaska or Canada. Um, but that was okay. That instrument was that landing site, you know, that rover, uh, that, uh, lander was very, 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 very clean. Um, got a little extra scrubbing. Um, and then the arm was like encased in a special, um, bag that it wasn't broken until it got to Mars because it was so clean because they were going to actually touch ice um, and dig through the ice and then put it in, a, in, a, in an oven to cook it to look and see what chemistry was in it. Um, we can do it. It's just, it's very tricky. And I think we want to understand Mars a little bit more before we go to the ice caps. Um, but definitely there are people who want to go. But also it's, the other thing is, um, you know, like you can get to the ice at the surface, but most of that ice is like just bombarded with like, like you know uv ultraviolet light and it's basically anything that was living there is cooked life if it exists like extant life like life that lives right now you get it yeah you gotta dig deep and digging deep is hard you know right now we drill um five centimeters below the surface <laughs> you'd be talking about 50 meters 500 meters five kilometers like you want to go deep if you really want to look at microbes if you want to look at ancient life or, or, or life that might exist now um that's um, expensive. <laughs> Drill rigs are, um, having done a little uh, in my past life, uh, hydrogeology, drill rigs are big. They're huge. They're heavy. They require like three to four people to run. They're complicated. Um, now take all that, 
and package it and send it in a rocket and the fuel. It somewhere oh my Mars. god it's 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 a really hard problem yeah, so you yeah. know they are working on drilling technology because they also want to go to europa and do the same thing they want to drill through the ice and find the ocean um but it's not drilling uh five feet or five meters you know or five miles it, it's it's many miles it, it's it's really deep you know as deep as we've ever drilled on on earth practically so it, it, it's a hard problem you know and that's and that's what that's mostly why we haven't done it um, we have to be very careful, but also it's really hard, really difficult to do. Is there a theory that the center of the Tootsie Pop is chewy? <laughs> um, I've never had it put to me that way. Um, of Mars? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Well, actually, it's a good qu- um, question is how chewy is it? Right? Um, it might actually be hard all the way down. It might be completely frozen all the way to the, to the um, interior of Mars. Um, it should be a little bit warm. But the question is like, is it like, is it, uh, you know, is it the piece of caramel that's been sitting there for 10 years and is not really pliable anymore? Or is it like the piece of gum where you go, you know, go right into it? Um, actually the, the, um, the, uh, InSight lander, which is on Mars, it has a seismometer and the seismometer is, um, you know, um, it's going to look for like seismic activity. And sometimes with the, like the, the Mars quakes are big enough. They'll actually go all the way down to the core and reflect back and go to the seismometer. And that will tell you something about how chewy, uh, how gooey the inside is of Mars. Um, you know, is there a liquid outer core? We don't know. Um, or is it frozen all the way? Is it completely solid? Or, or is it just kind of like weakly plastic, you know, mostly um, solid? Um, but <laughs> for that to happen, you have to have a really big um, Mars quake or a really big uh, uh, impact somewhere in Mars um, to create a big seismic event, a big seismic wave that will go down to the core and then ripple back up. Excuse me. Um, That hasn't happened yet. But the longer we wait on Mars, the longer that instrument lasts, the more likely we'll find, we'll get some response from the core and then we'll know how how big the, the inside of Mars is. And we really don't know. We have a guess, right? Is we feel like, what's it look like on Earth? Okay, Mars is this big. It probably has these materials. It probably grew up like this or, or evolved like this. Um, so we have guesses. We really don't know. So the insight is actually um, Lander with the seismometer is really trying to answer a fundamental question like, what does the inside of Mars look like? Is it gooey? Is it not? Yeah. So there's tectonic movement on Mars? I did not know this. A little. Well, a little bit, but not like... Not like Earth, where there's plate tectonics and plates. To, not like California, like, you know, there's a plate going underneath and we get all these earthquakes or, or, you know, plates moving side by side. Mars is like one big plate. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's one big chunk of rock all the way around. Um, there are some cases where, like, there are some volcanoes in a row. So it may be in the, like, the whole of Mars kind of, like, wobbled in a sense. And, you know, a hot spot stayed still and the Mars moved around. And so you might have a couple of volcanoes. Um, and then maybe a long time ago, there was a little bit of plate tectonics, but mostly Mars is one big shell. Um, but as Mars um, cools um, over time, you, you just, it's kind of like, um, like a bread and then it cools and you get a little crust and it breaks. Same way, on, uh, uh, same thing uh, for, the, for Mars. So there are like little faults that happen, uh, which cause earthquakes, um, but they're just not at the scale of um, as Earth. Um, the moon is the same way too. Like the Mars has Mars, uh, moon has moon quakes. Um, they're just really small. Um, they're not like, you know, like the, uh, Loma Prieta earthquake, um, or anything like that. Moon quakes now with powdered sugar. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if only. Um, yeah. So we, I, I, you know, the irony is like, we're like, Big Mars quake, come on, we want to see the core, but. Except for what would that do to some of the instrumentation that's been you know farting around up there how many how many things are on there roaming around and taking how many different devices on this on the surface of mars yeah rovers and instruments um so there's um currently there's two um oh. there's a curiosity rover um which has i don't know 12 instruments or so um and then there's the insight lander which has um seismometer a heat probe um some other wind instruments and um other uh, uh, smaller radio science experiments. Um, that's it currently. You know, um, I think we've only ever had. Think about this. I know when Phoenix landed. 
remember. I think I don't think we've ever had more than two things on Mars at one time. Around Mars is about five orbiters, which you know travel around in space. Um, but on the surface, not that many. Just uh, two, two spacecraft. Is the information that you gather again, Royal? You uh, is this a global exercise, or is this uh, uh, you know? Are there other countries, other nations that are involved? Do they have things also in tandem with y'all that are you know trying to figure? Yes, uh, very much so. In fact, uh, uh, it's getting busy. Um, so, uh, I mean, uh, the U.S. Uh, and, and NASA in general have have led the way. We do have the most uh, spacecraft. Um, I think that's true. Yeah, I think that's still true. So we have, uh, um, let's see, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, um, Mars Odyssey, which is another uh, orbiter, and we have MAVEN. So those are all um, spacecraft flying around Mars. Um, and then we have the Curiosity rover, um, the, the um, InSight lander, and then um, that's current. Um, but also around Mars is the Mars Express, which is a European Space Agency um, orbiter. Uh, there is um, uh, the Indian Space Research Organism, ISRO. Um, they, have a, uh, the, they have the Mars Orbiting Mission, which is another satellite going around Mars uh, currently. Um, on the way to Mars right now are, because this is like, so Mars gets in a line with Earth every two years. So like every two years, like everyone sends everything to Mars, um, or at least when they, when they have things ready. Um, so um, besides the Perseverance rover from NASA, um, China is sending an orbiter and a lander and a rover, I think, to Mars. Um, uh, United Arab Emirates is also sending an orbiter to Mars. Um, so there's three new, uh, uh, two new countries sending um, uh, instruments uh, to Mars right now. How do you keep, how, how in the world do you not get in each other's way? I mean, every, obviously trajectory is one thing, but. Yeah, uh, space is big. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big answer. Look at it this way. Um, <laughs> go, go, you know, you want to see a, a messy picture? Um, go find, go search like um, satellites around Earth and look at that. It looks like measles gone, you know, just totally wild. <laughs> crazy how much crap is up there yeah and somehow that stuff doesn't smash into each other again because space is big um so mars is a much easier environment now the only problem is like um talking to mars right so so um we have to um so we have uh uh satellite dishes like on three places around earth for nasa you know uh goldstone california uh madrid spain and um uh god why did uh Australia, um, I should know this off the top of my head. Darn it, just because I wanted to say it, I can't remember. Um, anyway, so they're like the three points on triangle, so we can always see um, uh, Mars. You know, one of them is always able to look at Mars or anywhere in the solar system. Um, but, you know, China has their own radar, uh, their own satellite dishes now, um, receiving stations, and so does ES ESA. So we have a bunch of, um, so we don't always, so it was in, in the beginning was like everyone relied on NASA and, our, and these three dishes. Um, which we also operate in cooperation with other countries, obviously. Um, but now there's other, you know, other just, you know, ESA has their own satellite dishes and China and other agencies. So, um, you know, so we have a lot more people looking at Mars and other places in the solar system. So it's not too bad. Um, we do have to coordinate, though. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was like, you know, the spacecraft themselves are um, maybe developed, led by a nation. But then oftentimes those spacecraft carry instruments from other nations. So. For example, the Curiosity rover um, carries the ChemCam laser that was developed um, uh, by ESA, uh, ESA uh, in France. Um, we have um, the DAN instrument, which is dynamic, albedo, neutron uh, spectrometer, which basically like it takes this little like pulse of radiation, hits the ground, it comes back, and we know what the rocks are like. That's from uh, Russia. Um, we have um, the... Uh, it's called REMS. I can't remember what it stands for. Uh, remember it was for, but basically environmental monitoring. It's like measures wind speed and temperature and pressure. That's from mostly developed by Spain. So even our American mission, a NASA mission, is actually developed of uh, several different countries working together. And we have um, a, a variety of scientists who are from all over the world. Which is how it should be, if you ask me. I mean, yeah. absolutely. The idea... Yeah. 
as you say, space is big. And the idea that we wouldn't all work together with with scientists and with physicists and engineers and geologists and all these people from all over the place, what a what a sad limitation that would be. And, and I, I think one of the things that um, I like about NASA personally um, is that we do talk to everyone, right? I mean, even uh, let's say uh, the 70s or the 80s, you know, deep Cold War time, what are we doing? Um, we're, you know, Apollo is meeting up with Soyuz capsules from, from the Soviet Union, our, our mortal enemy at the time, right? But here we are, NASA's like, ah, whatever, let's go shake hands, right? Um, and I kind of see that NASA is that function that, you know, we're, we're kind of uh, nation independent. We're not really, I mean, obviously we're United U.S., you know, uh, thing, um, but we like working internationally. And, you know, and it's, so things are expensive and, you know, the smart people aren't all here. They're everywhere. And we like that cooperation. You know, we we're trying to um, make that collaboration and, and build relationships with these people because we all want to learn and we all want to share it with everyone. We don't, you know, we like to, we don't like, you know, we don't like to keep things to ourselves. We like to give it all out because that's how, that's how you learn more things. Right. Because, sure. you know, um, there's smart people everywhere and sometimes they have <laughs> better ideas and, and it's, you know, we can all benefit from that. And if we ever do figure out how to leave the planet and go somewhere interesting or for that matter, if first contact, if it hasn't already been made, looking at you, Area 54, oh my goodness. <laughs> that if first contact happens, obviously that's a global experience. That's not one flag waving entity. Yeah, agreed. Science has always understood that, I, I believe. Otherwise, there wouldn't be things like the Nobel that is looking all over the world for places to give prizes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not perfect, but it's in the right vein of, ex, you know, yeah. um, exploration and, you know, kind of like everyone should be doing science or can do science and knowledge yeah. for everyone, not just for this person or that person or that nation or that nation. Yeah. It's for humanity. It's, it's a human purpose to boldly yeah. go where no one has gone before. I yes, love that. I mean, come on. Da, 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 it's da, perfection. Da, da. <laughs> what do you see in the next 10 years of what are you looking for? Just keep doing the same stuff? Do you think there's going to be a, a moment, an aha moment in the next decade? Or do you really think it's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of years down the road? Oh, um... Well, I mean, I, I think the first big aha moment is um, uh, getting Mars samples back. Um, rocks on Mars, we know where they came from. And, you know, we're going to a pretty exciting place in Jezero Crater. Um, we think we had this long time lake. And, uh, you know, we hope, 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 hope that we find evidence of ancient life. Um, we have the right instruments to do it. We can kind of look for organics, Martian organics. And, you know, we're gonna bring those rocks back. And, you know, I mean, it's gonna be, let's just say a decade. Decade's an easy number. Um, get those samples back in a decade and maybe we'll find evidence of life on Mars. And that would be pretty darn spectacular, right? Um, lots of huge implications. Um, I think, you know, I think that short term, I think the other one, I mean, the other one, which could be like tomorrow, um, you know, exoplanet search, and they find some planet that has a, a, a quote-unquote biosignature. I'm not that smart. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means some um, industrial pollutant that couldn't be natural or uh, certain, uh, you know, like uh, the Venus thing, like, uh, oh, God. Oh, oh, yeah. Right? Uh, you know, like, that's like, whoa. Yeah. What? Um, Venus, life on Venus? Um, you know, so I, I think those kind of discoveries, um, although they're kind of like they're harder to quantify, as as a Venus has found out when you look at your dating, you're like, is it really calibrated the right way? Um, but I think that those discoveries could be any day. We're doing the right thing. We're looking in the right places. We're starting to get instruments. We can look at, you know, you know, instead of looking at Jupiter-sized planets, we're looking at Earth-sized planets. Instead of just looking at this pinpoint of light, we're starting to look at maybe, you know, resolve a disk or looking at their atmospheres which then allows us to do like the astrobiology thing like well do we see you know is it all carbon dioxide do we see oxygen do we see water do we see 
this molecule, which means life, you know, I, th I think that could be any day now, um, which is kind of exciting because like, you know, you couldn't have said that 20 years ago. You're like, ah, we're not, we're not there yet. But now we absolutely are. It's so exciting. I think some really big questions really soon, um, you know, and then to spend the rest of the time figuring, figuring out the details, right? Carl so, Sagan yeah, would be it. proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time. Dr. Caleb, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Tell me how people can find you if they want to ask questions or I know that you're on Twitter. Uh, let's, let's, let's get all your good stuffs to find you. Oh, uh, sure. Um, uh, so uh, my personal account, not a NASA account, my personal account on Twitter is um, at uh, C-I-R-Q-U-E-L-A-R. Um, and, and again, that's my personal account. Those are purely expressions of myself and not my employer <laughs> or anyone who I work from. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, I, I encourage everyone to go to, uh, um, you know, nasa.gov and, you know, jpl.nasa.gov and, and you can do forward slash Mars. And, you know, like I said, like, we like to give everything. Um, fun fact, when the images come down from the rover, they go out to the public, a lot of them, before even the scientists see them. So if you want to see an image on Mars that no one else has seen before, maybe not even the scientists on the mission, go to jpl.nasa.gov forward slash Mars and look at their raw images every day. There's a decent chance you will. So um, cool. explore around, right. you know, there's all sorts of great data there. Yeah, and I'll find links and put them on heyhumanpodcast.com for people to go check out. It's so exciting. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank it was, you. It's a lot of fun. Super fun. interesting. And I'm, I'm so excited about all the possibilities. It's wonderful. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Take care. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Bye.